Let's just pray before we head into the sermon this morning. Lord, we ask that, again, you would open our understanding today and that you would encourage us to live for you. We pray that for those who are seeking you today, that they would uh, hear about the immense love that you have for us and know the goodness of life that's found in you, Jesus, through the cross. Lord, we thank you that we have the freedom to gather and to hear and to learn of your through your word. Uh, would we hold that uh, privilege close to our hearts, we ask in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Velma. Uh, if you're visiting today or you're new, I just want to, again, say a very warm welcome to you. And if you don't know me, my name's Nick. Do come find me after the service. I'd love to say hi and, and get to know you before you uh, slip out the door. Love to say hi. Luke chapter 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Probably a fairly familiar passage for a lot of us if you've been in church for some time or you're familiar with the Bible at all. Basically what happens is a lawyer or a religious scholar gets up and he gets up to test Jesus. We're told specifically he's there to test Jesus. And he says, teacher, what do I need to do to get eternal life? How do I do that? And that's a question that sounds a lot like a lot of questions that we hear in our world today. Questions that humans ask all the time. What do I do with myself? Is there a purpose to life? Is there a purpose to anything, perhaps? What's the point of all this? Who am I? What do I do? The scholar asked Jesus, and we're, again, we're told to put him to the test. And it's interesting. He's coming to see what Jesus is going to say to the question. He comes so he can win an argument, so he can feel better, we might say, about his own beliefs, so he can sit down with his position uh, unchallenged because he knows he's right. He wants to test Jesus. And Jesus uh, doesn't let him trip him up a whole lot. He's there to trip up Jesus, and Jesus turns the tables on him. Now, culturally, it's a little bit interesting to think what we have here is a recognized authority, the lawyer, the scholar, the religious scholar, and he's challenging the unofficial rabbi, the untested rabbi, Jesus. And he puts the question in first person, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And that's a good sort of tactic, because when you put something in first person, you ask someone, well, what do you think I should do if you're asking for advice, you often disarm the other person. You know, they are willing to share what they think you should probably do with yourself. They open up to you. And so he's got Jesus in this position where Jesus will open to him and he can then decide whether Jesus' words fit what he wants him to say. It seems that his attitude isn't entirely receptive. It's not like he's actually coming to learn from Jesus. He just wants to see if you'll answer correctly. And in some ways, this is probably a good thing for him to do because lots of different messiahs have shown up before. People who said that they were from God or that they were going to change the world or lead a revolution. And you have to test these kinds of people to see if they're sort of the real deal, right? Is this real or counterfeit? And then Jesus doesn't respond the way the man expects, which is very Jesus of him to do, isn't it? Jesus responds with his own question, what's written in the law, and how do you read it? Verse 26. 
And now something's changed because the man who came with the question for Jesus, who came to give the exam, who came to test him, the tables have turned and now Jesus is giving the examination to him. He's no longer giving the exam. He's taking it. And he gives the correct response. He knows his Torah. He knows Israel's scriptures. And so he recites the second half of the Shema, which is Israel's central unifying principle as a people. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And so we started off with the assumption that there is something in life worth doing, that life has meaning, that there is purpose, there's something worth striving for, eternal life. And how do you get it? Well, as a good Jew, the scholar knows eternal life is about my life before God, my relationship with God, or lack thereof. And so Jesus has got him pointing back to Israel's own scriptures, pointing back to God's own revelation of himself. And in Jesus' mind, and this is good for us to remember, Jesus sees Israel's scriptures as the unerring, authoritative standard for faith and for life. To love the Lord your God means to have faith in him, but also to delight in him above all else. With all your heart means with your deepest convictions, with your willpower, with your motives, with all your soul means even with the immaterial part of your person and your being. With all your mind means you love him with your reasoning, with your rationality in how you think and go about life. With all your strength means we love God and delight in him using all of the abilities and powers and talents at our disposal. In short, the purpose of life is a wholehearted devotion to God, to love him and enjoy him forever. That's what it means to love him. It can be simply put, but it's not simplistic. It involves the fullest dimension of who we are and giving that and living that unto God to know him and to be known by him. And to do that is to enter into relationship with God and to be in his presence both now today and into eternity. And in that way, the Bible teaches that eternal life isn't just about extended life. It's not just sort of extended warranty for life, right? I've got X amount of years in addition. No, Eternal life in the Bible is about a quality of life lived in relationship with God now that will also go into the future. And so if you are a Christian, you're a new creation, and eternal life has begun here and now today and will carry on into the future. Years later, the Apostle John would put it this way, God gave us eternal life, and this life is in the Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have eternal life. And so eternal life is wrapped up entirely in how you respond to the person of Jesus. Either he's a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's the Lord. And how we respond to him is the answer to the question about eternal life. Notice what Jesus says to the man. He says in verse 28, you've answered correctly 
Do this, and you will live. This life with God, loving him wholeheartedly, will bring the eternal abundant life that we seek. But watch out. You know the right answer, but are you living the answer? Jesus says, do this and you will live. He says, you've answered correctly. You get it. You know this, but are you living it? Live this out and you will live. It's not just about knowing the right answer. It's about letting it shape and transform you. It's not just saying, I believe in God somewhere out there. It's about inviting him to come and take his rightful place on the throne of our hearts and our lives. And so the guy asks, he doesn't say, oh, I do live it. What does he say? Desiring to justify himself, verse 29, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? It's an insincere question, I think, because he doesn't say, well, how do I live this out well? He says, well, who counts? He doesn't say, how do I be a loving neighbor? How do I let my love for God kind of pour out in how I treat other people? He doesn't say that. He says, essentially, who's my neighbor? Can I exclude some people from being neighborly towards? Because that would be helpful. Thank you, right? Can I get some sort of hierarchy of people that I can love and others that I don't have to love? And, uh, you know, essentially looking for some kind of loophole of how to do this. His knowledge is correct. He knows his scriptures. He knows the Bible. But it's his heart that's the problem. He can quote the Bible accurately, but he's not yet living the truth of it. And here Jesus gets right to the heart of the scholar. And when he asks, who's my neighbor, Jesus tells this first parable in this series. And it's, again, the well-loved parable of the Good Samaritan. You've already heard it, but I just want to make a few points about it and about how it applies to us today. Uh, if you don't know, to, to really get underneath the story, we need to remember that Jews and Samaritans hate each other. <laughs> like they really go out of their way to avoid each other. That's part of the cultural background. It was actually unthinkable that the Samaritan would have stopped to help the Jew. He would have just left him. In fact, very strict Jews, in order to uh, not defile themselves in their thinking, they would actually bypass, walk, take the extra long walk around Samaria so they wouldn't have to go through and get unclean or talk to someone that they didn't want to talk to. And the Samaritans were, uh, like racially, were a mixed group of people. They're kind of part Jew, part Gentile. And uh, so they're disdained by both Jews and the non-Jews because of that, right? <laughs> And uh, some consider they were just continually unclean. So we don't share things with them. We don't talk to them. We don't show compassion to them. No, thank you. And what does Jesus do? He makes a story about a man, likely a Jewish man, who's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, which was rocky terrain. It's often inhabited by robbers. It was not unusual to get mugged on your way on that road. And sure enough, some guy is beaten up and he's left for dead. And then what does Jesus do? He has the good guys show up, and the good guys pass him by. And here's the very, uh, it starts with the priest, right? The sort of religious and respectable person. 
the one who's a professional, who knows God's law, who would know, like the scholar asking the question, that eternal life is about loving God and loving your neighbor. The people that would know that, what do they do? They pass him by on the other side. The, the priest passes by, and then so does the Levite, who is not necessarily a priest, but often would help the priest in their duties. They pass right by. Sarah was telling me this story about when she taught this parable uh, in Sunday school a couple of years ago. And the Sunday school kids had never heard it. And so it was just fresh in there, you know, like there was no, they didn't know what was coming, right? No, there was no spoiler alert. And so she's telling the story about how this man's wounded and he's laying there. And then someone comes by and she goes, do you think they helped him? And all the kids went, well, yeah. And she goes, no, he walked right by him. <laughs> she goes, the kids were just, just horrified, just shocked. What? Why would he do that? He's hurt right there. I think she also had toilet paper to, to wrap them up so that they were wounded. You know, someone was playing the wounded guy. And so, you know, there they are kind of pretending they're broken. You know, and here comes, here comes the guy to toilet paper them. And he just walked away. And they go, why would he do that? Well, she goes, he wasn't being a neighbor. Oh, wow. She goes, then another guy showed up. Well, he'll help, right? Well, he just walked by. Too. What? Why would they do that? She said it was, it was hilarious and awesome all at the same time. She said, finally, someone stopped. The one that no one else thought would stop, stopped and helped him. Well, that's good, right? Get him wrapped up. Okay, good. The Samaritan stops. And Jesus intentionally casts the Samaritan as the one who will show love to the Jew. And he does that because Jesus needs to dismantle this man's ideas about who counts as his neighbor. And it's a parable that's been doing that same work in the hearts and lives of those who hear it for 2,000 years since. Jesus' story prompts the question that we all have to ask, which is, will I be a neighbor? How will I respond to the person in need? Or to also ask, who do I not want to be my neighbor? Who am I hoping doesn't count? Who am I hoping that I can avoid? Who deep down do I actually see as unclean or unworthy or whatever? And you might ask, well, why does that matter? Well, it matters because how we welcome others shows how we welcome God. The two are intentionally interconnected. At the end of the day, this is about the imperative. Love is never mentioned, but at the end of the day, well, it's mentioned. Um, loving my neighbor, but at the end of the day, the love is seen in its uh, action as a verb. Not just will you love, kind of will you think about love, but will you actually go and do something and live it out as love. Because at the end of the day, the story is about whether we will welcome Jesus into our lives. And in another sense, it pictures for us the same way that God has shown his love for each and every sinner in all the world. That while we were still unworthy and unlovable, Jesus died for us. And that while we were unclean and undeserving, and while you and I were wasting away on the side of the road, plagued by wounds from our own sin and under the curse of death, Jesus saw us 
and had compassion on us and stopped and bound up our wounds and calls us to himself. So there's a question of who will I be? Will I be the person to stop and help the other? But there's also a question of I'm the guy that's hurting and broken and I need God to come and bind me up. This is how God has treated us with his love. And so then if we claim to be his followers, we're called to do the same. And so Jesus finishes by asking the man, which of these three proved to be the neighbor? See, neighborliness is shown not just in your proximity to people, though that's also kind of part of it, right? But it's shown in how you choose to treat other people. Because what's the scholar's response? He's smart. He knows what's right. Well, it's the one who showed mercy. And then Jesus says, go and do likewise. Your neighborliness is shown in your capacity to show mercy to others. And that's the summons that's left for the scholar, to not just know the truth, to say, yes, I believe that, but now to live it, to not just say he loves God, but then to actually love God in his love for others. See, the parable of the Good Samaritan gives us three philosophies for life. The robber's philosophy is, what you have is mine, and I'm going to take it. The priest and the Levite have the, the philosophy of, what is mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. The Samaritan's philosophy is, what's mine is yours, and I'm going to share it. And Jesus endorses the Samaritan's philosophy and then says, go and do the same. And so in the end, with the exchange, with the examination of the scholar to Jesus, who gets the last word? Not the scholar. Jesus does. He's turned this whole scenario where this guy has come to test him into a, into a question now of dealing with this man's heart. And the final words of the story are, you go and do likewise. Two imperative verbs, go and do. Go and do. And I like what Eugene Peterson says at this point. He says, no more questions, no more answers, no more God talk, just go and love. No more detached discussions of scripture interpretation, no more using religion or Jesus as a way to avoid or dismiss the actual men and women who are in our lives. Something's going on. I'm told that I can get in on it. In fact, I'm actually told, get in on it. And Jesus' story does that. It works in our hearts and imaginations and then prompts us in the moments where we can extend mercy to others, prompts us into obedience to be people who do go and do likewise with those we meet. It's interesting, we don't know what the Bible scholar does. We don't get his response, do we? We don't know if he went and did as Jesus commanded. We don't get the answer to that question. What we're left with instead is our own responses to that question. Will you go and do likewise? Because like so many of these parables, it's not just directed at the one uh, that Jesus is talking to, but it's directed to all of the disciples, both then and through the ages. Will you live this out? Go and do to each of us 
And so the question for us at the end of, of this first parable is to say, how does he call us to live that out today? And I think the, the answer to that is really as unique as each one of us here because we're all called in a variety of ways to go and to live for God and to love others in our workplaces and in our families and at school. And, and you know, the list goes on and on. We're each in unique, you're each in unique scenarios. You each have unique family situations. Some of us encounter strangers often. Some of us don't. But there's still people who are either physically or emotionally or spiritually or mentally broken and lying on the sides of roads all around us. And will we go and love and show mercy? And some of us are those people lying on the sides of roads, and we need to be willing to accept the help and the love and the mercy from others instead of trying to bind our own wounds. We're actually quite hopeless and sometimes need help. Each of us has perhaps a unique answer then to that question. Go and do. Will you live this out? Will you not just know it, but will you live it? And so my prayer for us is that the Lord would show us, even this week coming, what that means for each of us on the ground to actually live out, to extend his love to others. So let's pray to that end and ask him to uh, give us opportunities to not just know the truth, but to live it out. Let's pray. Jesus, we ask this morning, uh, Lord, that your word would, uh, as, as we've mentioned in this parable and as you pointed out in this parable, that we wouldn't just know the truth. The religious scholar knew the truth. He knew the right answer. He knew his Bible well. He could recite Bible verses. He knew the correct response to the questions. But Jesus, you went right to his heart. And Lord, this morning, you go right to our hearts and ask Will you follow? Will you obey me? Do you love me? Do you know what I've done for you? And will you then extend that to those that are in need? The love that you've been shown, will you show that love to others? And Jesus, I just pray that as we head into this next week, many of us heading back to work, all of us heading into whatever life situations we have, Jesus, I pray that you would give us encounters to care well for those around us. Lord, for the one who's broken and hurting, would you help us to extend mercy? Show us how to do that wisely, Lord, in a way that honors you, that cares well for the person. Lord, I pray so many of us are in our own places of hurting and brokenness, and we can feel more often like the guy beat up on the side of the road. Lord, I pray that you would help us to reach out, to, uh, to receive help from those that are willing to come and offer it. Lord, I know in my own life, uh, the times I've tried to make it on my own, I often have failed. And it's from the love of others that I've experienced your love and your grace in my life. So Lord, would you open our hearts for a deeper capacity to show compassion to those around us, to show compassion, Lord, to our spouses and to our kids. Show compassion, Lord, to our co-workers, our extended families. And yes, to also show compassion to the stranger, to the one in need. Lord, I thank you for uh, the many times that you have helped us to do that well. 
Jesus, I pray that you would continue to help us to live that out for you. Lord, I pray a blessing over my church family here today and those that are visiting. May they know the deep love that you have for them. That while we were still sinners, Lord, you came and died for us. And I pray this morning, Lord, if there's any here who who have heard the message of your love but have never received that personally in their hearts, Jesus, I pray today that you would show them and guide them to yourself, Lord, that in you, when we come to relationship with you, you bring forgiveness of sins, and you give us eternal life, that fresh, forgiven, abundant life for today that goes on into eternity. Lord, that is so often the answer to our deepest longings, even though we can't quite express that. So, Lord, would you come and renovate our hearts and show us the way in which we are to live, that we may point others to you uh, by how we love and how we live our lives. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand? And I'd love to speak the benediction over you before we go. If you'd like prayer this morning, if there's a need in your life or something going on and you'd like some people to come and pray for you, we'd love to do that. Feel free to come up to the front just after the service and uh, we'd love to take some time to do that. Children of God who are loved and forgiven through our Lord Jesus Christ, may you know the truth of God's word, but may you also live the truth of God's word. May you show mercy and compassion to those who are in need around you. And when you are in need, may you receive the life and the hope and the forgiveness of God through the help and the love of others. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. We love you. Again, if you'd like prayer, love to pray with you. Otherwise, have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.